Thank you for downloading the PR Week, PR Week's weekly podcast. For more podcasts as well as breaking news, visit PRWeek.com. Welcome to the PR Week, PR Week's regular weekly roundup of everything that matters in the worlds of PR and communications. My name's Steve Barrett. I'm the VP Editorial Director of PR Week, and I'm going to guide you gently through another show with my colleague, Frank Washcook, Executive Editor of PR Week. How are you doing, Frank? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on, Steve. Are you all excited about our big conference and Purpose Awards in Chicago next week? I really am because it's our first one in a couple of years and it's good to be uh, doing it in another market. And uh, yeah, looking forward to seeing everybody and hearing from people and and everything that goes along with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. First one in three years, actually, in person in it's Chicago. It's hard to believe, isn't it? It is. It really is. So uh, we'll chat a bit about that in the podcast, the news part of it. And we got Patrick Lenehan, who's VP Global Head of Communications at Grinder. Patrick, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you so much, Steve. I'm well. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Thank you, Frank. Good to have you with us. We'll chat to Patrick, then we'll get into the PR Decoded and Purpose Awards event in a bit more detail. Updates on the Corn Kid. I really like corn. It's burning up the internet. Kim Kardashian has taken a fine for her crypto promo, so we'll talk about that and social media influencer marketing. Bayer, the pharma firm, is targeting old folks like me on TikTok, so that's good to see. It's not just for those kids. We've all got. We can all go on TikTok. And then there's the We Brands in Motion study. We'll find out what that's saying this year. And the usual People Moves Roundup. But uh, Patrick, let's get into it with you. You started the gig at Grindr in January, having had a career at Goldman Sachs and Google. Tell us, how's the year been? And, and what's that? That's quite a change, I suppose. You're sticking with the G theme, yes, though, exactly. aren't you? I have so one, I, have, I also went to Georgetown University. There you go. There after. It's, it's, a, it's the one really ruling principle in my career. I must work for places that start with the letter G. So it's G, General Mills and General Motors next. Well, and, and who knows? Government? There's, government. there's the, you can go a bunch of different ways here. Yeah, I, I joined in January. It's a it's a fantastic company. It's They've never had a communications function before in the 13 years they've been around. So you've got this wildly popular and well-known brand that there and there's a lot of sort of reputation debt to deal with but there's incredible opportunity that that provides a communications person there's lots of stories that we're getting to tell and we're in the process of going public which you know, a, a transaction is not a strategy but it is absolutely an opportunity to to get up and sort of tell the world everything about a company and what it's doing and what makes it tick and why uh, and why it's a good investment so we've, we've had a great time putting that together and it's an awesome team, and uh, it's got a great story to tell. And I'm, and I'm very lucky and honored to have the opportunity to help them tell it. Yeah, and for those who don't know, Grind is a dating app aimed at the LGBTQ community. Largest LGBTQ social network in the world. There you go. So you call yourselves a social network rather than a dating site. Is that a deliberate sort of distinction to bring it as a wider sort of uh, yeah. forum, if you like? So Grinder was founded in 2009, and the initial use case was absolutely sort of what we euphemistically call casual dating, hooking up. And this is something that's central to gay culture. Over time, the app has, it's, an, it's a really a very flexible technology. It's just proximity-based, a grid of profiles. So you can sort of use it for whatever you'd like. And we find that obviously casual dating and, and serious dating are, are sort of core to what people use us for, but people hop on there to 
you know, find out what's happening in a given city when they're traveling. They use it to find roommates, to find tennis partners. It's kind of amazing what people tend to use it for. And over time, we're going to productize all those use cases and help people do it better, faster, more easily. Yeah, I remember stories like when the London Olympics, um, massive spike in the use of Grinder and other dating apps from the Olympic Village, which I guess was a, a story opportunity. But it does have that casual dating element to it. Is that a good or a bad thing? It was a bit of a character in the uh, Billy Eichner productions we got a lot recently. Of, we got a lot of free marketing, and I think that speaks yeah. to the value of the brand. Yeah. Casual dating is something that's sort of, it's, it's neither good nor bad. It's inherent to the LGBTQ community. Like Sex is a core part of the human experience, and we don't shy away from that at all. The gay community tends to talk about it a lot more openly, and it's the basis for a lot of our social relationships. But to define the LGBTQ community only in terms of sex is incredibly narrow and misses the point, which is that there's so much richness on top of that. So that's sort of how we think about it. It's sex is important. We don't shy away from that, but there's a lot more there. Now, you mentioned you were the first head of comms at Grindr. And so you've you come to a very dis- different situation than you were at at Goldman Sachs or Google, where there's very established, you're working for Jake Seward at Goldman Sachs and big team at Google. How was different was that then? And how did you approach that in terms of s- setting up a team and sort of setting up a communications function? So I've been lucky enough to help advise growth stage companies for most of my career. When I was at Google, I worked with folks at Capital G, at Goldman, I worked with their growth equity investment group. And so I've had a chance to talk to tons of companies who are exactly in this phase of growth, about to go public. They've got big brands, they've got a growing user base, they're hitting profitability, but they're, they, they're thinking about, well, how do I set up a communications function for the next several years? So I felt honored to get to do that uh, at a company that serves my my people, and I'm a gay man, out for 20 years. Um, so when I got there, I mean, the first thing to do before you start imposing your will on anything is understand, well, what's there and what's going on. And um, so I've spent most of the last year trying to figure that out and understand what are the stories here? What's making this company tick? And what are the big issues that we need to, to work on? And, and, and really what we've sort of concluded is that we need people to understand our mission, which is to connect LGBTQ people with one another in the world. And we think we're very good at doing that. Uh, to share that mission with other people and then to talk to them about the manner in which we go about that mission, which is focused on safety, privacy, and community support. Um, and we've been, we've been working on telling those stories both with earned and paid and owned media. And you'll see a lot more of that as we go uh, and hit the public markets hopefully later this year. Yeah, what's the, that, that's an exciting thing. What's the sort of time scale on that, on, on the going public? So we're, the deal's expected to close uh, in Q4, and we're all working hard to try and make that happen. Um, I don't have any updates beyond that. But it's an amazing opportunity, you know, Fewer than 20 years ago, ACT UP, which is the AIDS Coalition to Unleash Power, they did some of their first protests in the mid-80s in front of the New York Stock Exchange. And now, 2022, a gay company, Grinder, is going to be trading and doing the opening bell on the New York Stock Exchange. And we think that that's an incredible sign of progress. You know, ACT UP focused on the Stock Exchange specifically because they knew that spreading the word by targeting finance and by targeting business would be one of the most effective measures of change. Um, We feel the same and we feel like having a gay company represented on the public markets, having gay people ring the bell, having a news day where it's wall-to-wall coverage focused on this company and the good that it does and the people who are running it and the business that we built, we think that uh, we think it's just sort of an unprecedented opportunity um, and, and we're 
we're going to do everything we can to make sure that it's a day the community can be proud of. Yeah, no, it sounds good. Now, obviously, that there has been a lot of progress, like you said, in the past two decades, but somehow we do seem to be regressing a little socially as well, and we've seen increases in attacks on different groups, including gay and lesbian people, but also transgender especially. Mm-hmm. And we've seen the erosion of um, women's reproductive rights, and we know that uh, there are people who want to erode other freedoms that have been won, such as the right to gay marriage, et cetera, et cetera, and equality. How does Grinder play into that? You know, brands are now expected to have a, a, a view and, and a purpose, and but it's it's difficult to sometimes balance that. But how, do, how have you approached that part of the job? So this isn't something that's new to gay people. So we've actually been working on issues like this, both inside and outside the U.S., for think the entirety of the life of the company, we have a group within Grindr called Grindr for Equality, which was founded and continues to be run by a, a former classmate of mine and a colleague of mine now, Jack Harrison Quintana down in DC, uh, fantastically well connected with global grassroots LGBTQ activists. And, and we've been working to support them in the places where it is most challenging to be gay in Africa and the Middle East and parts of Latin America and Asia. And we're increasingly engaged with groups here in the United States, helping them access our community and share information with our community. You know, there are many things that Grindr is not, but connective tissue is absolutely a a service that we can provide to groups that have information, have things that they want to get to gay people all around the world. uh, and, And we can help connect them with those folks. We've been doing that sort of work with social justice work. I think the Grindr for Equality is founded in 2000 and. 15, and it was really just more of a formalization of what had happened and does everything from helping make sure that our product is built for people who live in countries where it's illegal or super challenging, risky to be gay. They do a lot of product work. They do a lot of activism, sort of enhancement work by making sure that our messaging services are available to grassroots organizers. And we also donate money, of course. And you know, we're, we're increasingly working, as I may have, I think I just said, with groups like Lambda Legal and helping them get done the really amazing work that they need to get done. You know, there's there's a lot of people working on this issue, and, and we see our role as standing up and helping those folks get done what they need to get done. So let's talk about dating sites generally. Um, there was a survey earlier this year that showed traffic in the U.S. was down 12.5% and, and dating sites across the board year over year. I don't know whether that was just a whether there was a lot more activity on dating sites during COVID or whether that was a sign of a decline in dating sites generally. Does Grindr reflect those traffic trends? And where, where do you see the dating sector in general? Because I suppose it's, it's still a relatively young sector with companies that have really grown massively over you know a couple of decades, but it's reaching maturity, I suppose. Yeah, we have not seen the sort of slump that you're talking about at all. Um, I really haven't actually seen hard data from any of the big dating companies that would indicate something like that. Uh, We continue to grow uh, and we see our activity increasing. And I think that's largely driven demographically. If I can say, speaking just for Grindr, you know, Gen Z adults, this is a Gallup study, Gen Z adults are four times more likely to identify as LGBTQ than boomers. So we see there being sort of a huge shift just in the demographic that we serve. And then generally speaking, I mean, we know that secular tailwind is younger people are on dating apps. They're way more comfortable using dating apps to meet their partners. There's not the sort of stigma that there may have been, you know, 10 years ago or even five years ago. 
So I think that we're going to continue to see that. There may have been a huge a huge bump during COVID. I, I can imagine that. Although, again, I haven't seen any data that really bears that out. But I think all of these services are going to continue to grow. People really like using them. I think Griner's doing a great job, better serving its population. I know that Match and Bumble are really committed to creating great product experiences for their users as well. And I think that the who's going to benefit from all of this in the long term is consumers who will use them more and more. Yeah, yeah. Now, you, you, news media loves a, a dating site story where something happens, right? People meet on an app and then, you know, somebody murders somebody or something <laughs> crazy happens. You, you only have to do a Google search. Does that annoy you a bit that, you know, that, that, that that's when the media seems to get interested in dating apps when something negative happens? And how do you, how do you approach that or how do you counter that? I, I think, as I mentioned before, one of the most important things for me to do is to get out there and talk about the ways that we're putting our users' safety and their privacy first and making sure that we're supportive of our community. And the more we do that, the more clear we make it how seriously we take the safety of our users, the more challenging it will be to really write some of these a little bit bonkers stories that you, you refer to. Yeah, but it doesn't annoy me by any stretch of the imagination because we have to be out there talking about these things and we need to make sure that people are aware of the safety features that we have in the app. We need to make sure that people are staying safe. And a lot of that is up to the individual person. Just in life, we have to keep ourselves safe. Um, and we need to make sure that we're helping our users stay as safe as they possibly can. Um, and, and we take it incredibly seriously. So so it's not annoying in the least. It's uh, it's a key tenet, a key focus for us. Yeah. And just finally, were there, were there any big trends over COVID? Because people were looking for, obviously, they're a bit isolated, you know, stuck at home a lot more. So what, how did that impact um, Grinder? And Yeah, we went through a management same, you know? transition at the same time uh, in 2020. And so, I, I, honestly, we, we put users, user privacy squarely in the middle of so much that we do that I don't actually have a ton of great data to tell you about how users were using the app at that time. Uh, I can tell you anecdotally that there were definitely, there was definitely a lot of usage of the app. Um, but our, really our service is designed to connect people in person, right? We're not, we're not trying to build something that it becomes your social life. We have a product that accelerates your social life that helps you connect with people in the real world. So, you know, I wouldn't go as far as Hinge, who says, you know, there's something they designed their product to be deleted. We don't want you to delete our product. We want you to keep using it. And people do. Um, but but we really do want to connect people in real life. So we have seen we have seen some steady growth since we uh, since the end of the pandemic, for sure. And, you know, we in, we intend to continue to build a product that encourages people to use it. Uh, and hopefully we'll accelerate that growth as we go. Yeah, well, good luck with that, and good luck with the uh, IPO. And it's uh, that will be a great day. You're right. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. something to really look forward to. So we'll look out for that and and uh, cover it when it happens. We'll um, yeah, Frank, let's get into the big news stories of the week. PR decoded and purpose awards. We mentioned it earlier. What are, what are some of the highlights that people should be looking out for in Chicago? Well, uh, it's on purpose, like it has been for the past couple of years. I can tell you a session that I will be hosting, which is all about employee targeted communications. And um, there have been, you know, this has been such a huge priority. Everybody you talk to from the in-house side is talking about how they're still working out return of the office, how they are figuring out what social issues they want to speak up on and all of these different things. And so that's one thing we'll be covering there. Uh, we have a bunch of good keynotes, a lot of great guests. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a good two-day show. It is, and we'll be celebrating the case studies at the Purpose Awards that really have 
got some traction and made a difference. And yeah, people are still writing the playbook on this stuff. So it's good to have case studies other people can aspire to emulate. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of CMOs, chief sustainability officers, chief communications officers on the agenda, as well as a lot of the agencies really uh, blazing a trail in the purpose area. So it's going to be a fantastic day and a half of content and a celebration too. And we're really looking forward to seeing you there. Still a few tickets left if you want to get one. So check out uh, PRweek.com or the breakfast briefing, the links through to the website, uh, PRdecoded.com, I think it is. And uh, yeah, join us. Do join us in Chicago. Now then, what's going on with the corn kid? I can't imagine a more beautiful thing. It's corn! It's an ongoing story. Let's key the listeners in on where it all started, but then also why it's in the news again, Frank. We love these stories, don't we? Because he's not dead. That's the reason why. (laughs) So, uh, the corn kid, he's still around. Uh, He is, if you've been living in a cave, he's a seven-year-old who has become famous on social media for declaring his love of corn. You might be wondering why we're talking about it. That's because a bunch of brands partnered with him, like um, Chipotle and Mr. Beast Burger, um, and even the state of South Dakota, where they grow corn. You see, so that's the ah, connection. Yes, I Some, see what they did there. Creative. <laughs> that's a good marketing. Uh, anyway, a rumor had spread nastily on social media that he had died in a tragic accident, but no, he is alive, and he declared himself alive and well uh, on TikTok. So, so it was just a false rumor. Then he didn't just a false rumor. He has okay. risen. The corn kid has risen. Yeah. I hope you really have a fantastic day. This links into the next story about Kim Kardashian, who was fined for promoting a crypto company on her social media platform, which is so powerful. Yeah. She's got so many people on there. But Wild distribution. Yeah. 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 Talk us through that one, Frank, yeah, and then we'll she's get Patrick's only, um, input on the, the whole issue of influencer marketing. She's only slightly less famous than the corn kid. So, uh, she was you love a Kim Kardashian <laughs> story, don't you, Frank? I know that in the news meetings in the morning, you're always happy when one of those crops up. I'll, uh, I'll skip that comment, and uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll move on to the meat of the story, is that she was fined um, $1.26 million by the SEC for breaches that are related to social media, crypto, promotion, and advertising especially failing to disclose a $250,000 fee. Good work if you can get it, I guess. For one post, was Yes, it? for promoting the crypto brand Ethereum Max on Instagram. So uh, she's agreed to the fine, and she is not allowed to promote any crypto products for three years. So it, it brings up the responsibility that you know the crypto brands and the agencies that work with them have to explain the rules to influencers, I think, and also that influencers themselves have to know the rules and their lawyers have to know the rules. So these things don't happen because it is it is still murky to a lot of people out there, isn't it? Yeah, Patrick, you've, you've worked in a regulated financial industries. There's, there's a number of levels to this. There's regulated industries, but also using influencers. And um, do you find that the, the regulators actually almost are asking companies to establish the rules as they go along? But what's your take on all this? Well, it's all a little the Wild West. Crypto is still incredibly new. And, and understanding what the regulatory environment is, it, it's not the easiest thing in the world. Gary Gensler's done a lot of work. The White House has done a lot of work to try and make progress there and get people to come to consensus on how this stuff should be should be treated. 
Yeah, but I think a lot of places don't even recognize that these are securities, you know, and they they are. uh, And there's very specific securities, a lot that they need to be aware of. And the crypto firms themselves need to be educated about, you know, how are these things treated, marketed properly in a way that's in compliance. And then, you know, it's something the agencies need to be caught up with because there's a whole, I mean, as we well know, there's tons of financial communication specific agencies who know how this goes, right? But those are not the same necessarily as the influencer marketing folks right, who may not be as familiar with with the regulatory regime that covers crypto. So there's, I think there's just a, there's a lot of learning that needs to happen. It sort of makes sense that there will be mistakes along the way. People should be really careful. And what's your take on influencer marketing? And do you use that at Grindr? Is it, it, and, and I think people need to be aware that you have to state the fact that if you're being paid it's for something. Right? Yeah. 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 So we, what we try to do with influencer marketing is really we, we have these awesome social platforms. We actually like to give them over to queer creators. Right. So we do this with TikTok. We do it a lot on Instagram and on Twitter. We use them as platforms to give attention to queer creators. Sometimes there's there's paid content for sure. And sometimes we do, you know, influencer partnerships. But but oftentimes we find people who want to use Grinders brand to grow theirs. And we are very happy to do that with them. Uh, we think there need to be more visible gay faces out in the world and more gay creators and anything that we can do to stand with the community and help them sort of achieve success. We're, we're very happy to. Yeah, well, actually, why don't we talk about TikTok? Because that's mm-hmm. the next story, Frank. It's about Bayer, the pharmaceutical firm, which is targeting old folks on yes. TikTok. That's not normally what we associate TikTok with. Well, uh, to or, some degree. I mean, I think, um, you know, people in the industry we cover, they're all over TikTok for informational purposes or disinformation or, you know, whatever the case is. So, um the Teach Me How to Gummy campaign uh, has been launched by Bayer. Uh, it features the actor Alfonso Ribeiro, who you might remember from The Fresh Prince of Bel Air. The original series, not the uh, remake. And um, he's great. Yeah, yeah. And so um, it was his famous dance, right? He has a he has a famous dance, and the strategy behind this is that ten percent of TikTok users are over fifty, so they see it as a viable platform uh, to be promoting their one a day men's vitamin gummies for people older than fifty. When was Teach Me How to Dougie a big? That was like, I mean, that's got to be ten years it's, old now, right? Oh, I think at least. At least. Yeah, I was watching Fresh more. Prince when I was a, a young lad. That's been considerably more than ten years ago. Yeah, was that the Dougie dance? Then? Was <laughs> yeah. he doing the Dougie I don't know. Dance? I don't know. But he was. He had that. Yeah, he was a great character. I, in fact, I loved that series uh, all around. Yeah. Uncle Phil. Uncle you Phil know, was great. It was a. a Someone you could, you know, really look up to, even even Will Smith. I don't know. Which, which did you prefer, the the original Aunt Vivian or the? Well, the that's a big second. That's one. a big this debate, is isn't it? Yeah. I I think I preferred the uh, uh, the original. Yeah, that was a great series, actually, and quite pretty groundbreaking in its time. It was quite, um, and the, the plot lines were interesting, anyway. But uh, TikTok, not just for young kids, anyway. Am I the only one here who takes his gummy every day? No, I take vitamins. Yeah. Vitamin C. I mean, it's just know. another way of taking vi- vitamins, vitamins. I like the idea of a gummy. 
but I feel like there's something about just t- swallowing the pill that feels like, oh, this is medicinal. I like the gummies because they taste, they're like candy. They taste good. Don't so, they? and you know, you've got to get your joy where you can get it these days, Every right? little bit. <laughs> Every so, little bit counts. I'm going to check this campaign out for sure. So let's talk about brands in motion, Frank. Wee's uh, regular study, what's it saying this year? Yeah, this year it's titled The Bravery Mandate, Make It Real, and the top line finding from this. And um, I thought this was really interesting too is that 70 percent of respondents prefer that brands focus uh their multi-year investments on a single cause as opposed to supporting different issues every year and i think this is interesting and i hope we can talk about it next week at the conference but this is that that i think will surprise a lot of people because um you know some companies can be kind of scattershot and how they uh how they donate money and what they um they put um you know esg or purpose initiatives into 74% so three-quarters of individuals also want more public transparency about the actions in response to current and emerging social issues. And another key finding, too, is that consumers also want brands to focus on things like cost of living. I I think it also ties into this trend of people looking to companies to be more of a provider in lieu of, you know, government, whatever the, you know, nonprofit, whatever the case is. have seen that trend for a while, too. That's been in... Edelman reports and yeah, the trust reports as we reports and people that is people are looking at corporate for a sense of stability. They are, but it's interesting because business. Some shareholders say, "Well, can't you just actually concentrate on doing making a profit and you know selling things or providing a service?" You must have had a good perspective on that at Goldman Sachs because the Business Roundtable made that change to Mm -hmm. the statement of purpose, right? And Everyone signed on board. But when you come to a a more unstable economic times like we're coming into now, there's a tendency to shrink back to your basics, isn't there? And maybe jettison some of that purpose. So what's your take on that, Patrick? I don't know that we have the option right now, particularly given what we've seen of the climate crisis happening and unfolding around us, right? Like, I I think that you can't really stick your head back in the sand. And I don't think businesses want to either. I think they want to find what makes sense for their business to support. So I'm, I'm glad to see that we has, has found that focus is something consumers and people are looking for from brands. I think that's important. You're going to be more impactful if you're focusing on one specific issue, you can find something that works from an ethos, pathos, logos perspective. And, um, and I think you'll probably make a lot more progress. It's also super helpful from a communications perspective. Having one issue to talk about, one message to repeat over and over and over, people might actually start to get that. And Grinder has a real sort of head start in this area because obviously our first and foremost concern is the rights of the LGBTQ community and equality. Um, and so, so it's easy for us to stand up and push really hard for that. We always have. We always will. That's what we care about doing. Um, we build it into everything from the product to our social practices. But uh, a lot of other companies, I mean, B2B is going to have a lot harder time sort of un- coming to conclusion about, well, what is our issue? What makes the most sense for us to focus on? Uh, and it's a question that CEOs have to ask themselves in conjunction with their ESG teams and their communications leaders. And I think, you know, by talking to communications leaders, they might find something that they can they can really hang their hat on. Yeah, for sure. How is it going to change when you go public? Because then you're going to have shareholders, aren't you? And, and you might have activist shareholders who are asking you to do things that may be not on mission, right? But it might be more profitable. Does that That is a different type of uh, dynamic for a comms person and a, and a business. Yeah, I, I think that our North Star will always be serving the community of folks we work with and work for. There's there, it's, it's sort of very clear 
Um, you know, we serve a niche audience, a very large global niche audience, but it isn't, you know, they, they have sort of a, a few political commonalities that make a lot of sense and that are relatively universal. Now, I'm not going to, I don't want to think too far ahead about activist investors. We're nowhere near that yet. But, uh, but, uh, but, <laughs> but I, you know, I think that what will, the company's success will come down to how well we serve this community. And if we're doing that, we're going to be we're going to be making money and, and doing what we need to do. So I think that that's what will make our investors, all of our key stakeholders pleased with us. Yeah, for sure. On the move. All right, Frank, we are uh, still getting loads of people moves, aren't we? And some interesting ones this week. Let's have a quick run through those. Yeah. Mozilla has a new VP of global communications. It's Brandon Borman, formerly of Twitter, former guest on the podcast and a really thoughtful guy. They are streamlining their comms department into one global comms team there. So uh, interested to see how he puts his mark on that group. Mattel has hired Marielle Gelber to lead communications for the brand's Hot Wheels, Matchbox, Masters of the Universe, and a few other well-known toy and entertainment brands. She was at MGA Entertainment previously. Ditto PR has brought on Shanetta Johnson to head consumer and also their DE&I work. Uh, she comes to the agency from Weber Shanwick. We also have Pam Fujimoto joining Golan to lead the Los Angeles creative team. Uh, she's going to be working with clients, including McDonald's and Walmart and Adobe. Citizens Financial Group has promoted Peter Lucht to uh, lead a consolidated communications team as they reorganize communications and corporate affairs there. KNP Communications, uh, which it goes on, man. It's, it's the list goes on. The great resignation is still <laughs> rolling along. Um, KNP Communications, uh, which helps senior executives, politicians, and celebrities develop their communication skills, uh, has brought on Chase and Buttigieg, who is, of course, the husband of former presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg. He is joining up with KMP. We stand. A, we stand. Some a member of the community. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Citygate Do Rogerson has a new global CEO. That's Charlotte Bilney. And I'm almost out of breath here, so let's wrap up with Sarah Gavin is departing Expedia Group after more than a decade. Tiff Turpin is going to oversee all aspects of employee communications as she steps away. Okay, yeah, it'll be interesting to see where, where Sarah goes next. Good to see Brandon back after a break following Twitter. That was a, a quite an exhausting job, I think, being head of comms at Twitter. Yes. <laughs> Probably glad to Can you imagine it right now? Yeah, I, know. I think he's, he was glad to have a break. Patrick, did you have an opportunity to build a team? And how difficult was it in the sort of current talent market? We are an incredibly small company. We're 170 people. So my, my commitment to the CEO is I wouldn't hire anybody until 2023, get through the transaction um, and, and get some agency support through that. So we'll be looking to build out the team next year. Excited for that. The competition for talent is wild, but what I find is that because it's grinder, people are really excited to talk to us and um, we're, we're a mission driven company. We serve just a fantastic user base and community and it's a lot of fun in addition to being serious yeah this is a this is a fun brand to work for you get to cover lots of corporate communication issues but also do a lot of consumer work and so you know i i have had more than more than a few folks come to me and say listen as soon as you've got something open so we're excited to we're excited to build that out next year that'd be great have you signed on any agencies to support the ipo or just for general yeah, yeah we've got trailrunner international who are great uh and ellipsis on our investor relations. So with those two who have been uh, helping us out and have been my arms and legs for the last 
for the last 10 months. Yeah, and doing uh, all that on your own would be a bit of a... Yeah, yeah, oh, it's, it's not it's, it's not possible. As it is, I'm only <laughs> sleeping four hours a night. But, um, you know, there's next year for sleep. Yeah, well, it's great to have you on the show, Patrick. Thank and, you so much uh, for having me. Find I out about it. it. Yeah, this is really, really fun. Genuinely, wish you well with that, and uh, look forward to plotting the growth of Grinder. Frank, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. A couple of quick reminders: PR Week Awards. It's the final deadline for entries next week, the fourteenth of October. So do make sure you've got your entries into the Oscars of the PR industry. These are the big ones. These are the ones that really matter. Forty under forty. Our celebration of the next generation. Generation of leaders. We'll be doing that in New York City on 27th of October. Always a fantastic night, that really great uh, event. And another great occasion is our Hall of Fame dinner on the 5th of December in New York. Please do come and join us there to celebrate the industry and some of the great uh, practitioners. But that's all we've got time for. We'll see you next time on the PR Week. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the PR Week. To find more episodes, visit PRWeek.com.